So I've had this really strange experience twice in my life. It's a physical sensation of falling while I'm standing on solid ground. Like the world has been pulled out from underneath my feet, like a trap door has opened up and I'm just free falling. The first time this happened was when I was around 20 years old and I was expelled from Bible college in New Orleans. What was my egregious infraction, you might ask? I rode in a car alone with my then-girlfriend, Oshida, on our way to her parents' home in Texas during a break, and this was deeply against the rules. You were not allowed to ride in the car with a member of the opposite sex, uh, much less if you were a couple. And I wish we had time to break down all the toxicity of purity culture, but that's for another sermon. When I returned to school, I found out that I had been expelled. And at that very moment, it felt like the world beneath my feet had evaporated. And I was plummeting. Not just because I was kicked out of school, but it felt like my entire calling to ministry was over. There was nothing I was more sure of in my life than that I was called by God. And now that was over, it felt like. So I remember thinking, well, I might as well hit Bourbon Street. <laughs> I did. I did think that. But God had bigger plans and bigger plans than that school's silly rules. And so a couple of professors uh, said that they believed in me. They vehemently protested this decision and they let me back into school. Uh, I eventually graduated from that school, but it was a really bad school. <laughs> really toxic. Um, the second time this happened to me um, was when I resigned from a church that I was serving in downtown L.A. due to a narcissistic and abusive boss. And a wonderful mentor of mine named Dr. Dennis Edwards. Anybody know Dennis Edwards? Former pastor of Sanctuary Covenant. He encouraged me to be his successor at a church that he had planted in Washington, D.C., a Mennonite church. And I thought this was perfect. I thought, oh, man, this is a multi-ethnic Anabaptist church in Washington, D.C., planted by my mentor. Surely this is God's will for my life, right? And it's in the belly of the beast, Babylon. I'm going to make a splash there. This is where I'm going to make a difference. And there were weeks of candidating, literal weeks of candidating. They, wa they came and watched me preach. They came to our house. They played board games with us. Elders from the church came. And it came down to two candidates, me and my close friend, Delante, who was an intern at the church where I pastored in L.A. And the elder called me on the phone on the day of the decision, and he started telling me how great of a candidate I was. And I was thinking, why is he buttering me up to tell me that I got the call? And then I realized he's buttering me up because I did not get the call. And then he told me they had gone with Delante. There goes that trap door again. I was falling. I remember thinking, well, I always loved graphic design. Maybe it's time for a career change. But God had better plans for us than D.C. A few months later, we received the call here to St. Paul and to Roots. And in retrospect, D.C. would have been horrible. <laughs> I think we would have been completely miserable there. I had fooled myself into thinking that it would be a good fit for us. But now it just feels delusional to me because we love it here so much. 
Feels like this was always the plan. Those experiences of feeling like I was falling, like the world had been pulled out from underneath me, they've stuck with me. They remind me that we can easily place our trust in the wrong things. They challenge me to interrogate what I'm trusting in. Is my hope really in Christ? Or is it my hope in things that Christ can give me? Is Christ the solid rock on which I'm standing? Or is my hope resting on sinking sand? Today we're kicking off a new six-week series in the book of 1 Peter called Hope on the Horizon. It's the season of Eastertide. And the lectionary walks us through this New Testament book one chapter at a time. So we're going to do the same. We're going to explore different aspects of hope. Like next week, Pastor Rashid is going to talk about sojourner's hope, the hope of being like a sojourner. Then we're going to have a fellowship Sunday with potluck brunch. Then we're going to, in our journey groups, we're going to discuss reconstructing hope. What does that look like? And then uh, on Mother's Day, Pastor Rashid is going to talk about a gentle hope. And then on the 21st, I'm going to talk about suffering hope. But our passage today uses a metaphor that I was drawn to. You'll probably know why. And I want to home in on this metaphor. It's the metaphor of a refiner's fire. So I'm calling this message Forged Hope. Before we dive into our text, let's pray for the Spirit's work of illumination. Spirit of the living God, we need you this morning. We need you to open our minds and give us eyes to see. We need you to open our hearts and give us ears to hear. We need you to shine your light of illumination upon the scriptures that we will hear read today and speak to us. You are the liberating spirit. Would you set us free this morning? May the word be like a seed that finds good soil. May it take up root and bear good fruit, fruit that will last. And may the words of my lips, meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. So our passage this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1. It's verses 3 through 9. If you have your own translation of the Bible, either virtual or analog, some of you still use analog Bibles, uh, you could turn with me to that passage or follow along on the screen behind me. I'm going to read from the NIV, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. So you are all familiar with this picture, right? You are familiar that precious metals are heated 
to such a high temperature that the impurities rise to the surface and are skimmed off so that the purest form of the metal remains. This process purifies and it proves. This process speaks, this passage speaks to a people who have placed their trust in Jesus and are now being subjected to pressure. Now they are experiencing trials and temptations and testing. Their faith is being forged in fire. This morning, I want to talk about this using three words. Three words are future, focus, and freedom. The first word is future because this passage points out ahead of itself to a time that has yet to come. It speaks of a time when our inheritance is waiting for us in heaven. It speaks of a time that is called the last time. It speaks of a time when Jesus will be revealed. In theological circles, this is called the parousia. You can impress your friends with that word, parousia. It means arrival. It speaks of the coming day when the liberation of our souls will be complete and the liberation of our bodies. This future orientation of this passage tells us that right now we live in a sort of in-between time, an overlapping of the ages. God's future has already arrived in Jesus 2,000 years ago, and the age to come has been inaugurated but has not yet been consummated. There will be a time in the future yet to come when all injustice will cease, when God will wipe away every tear, and every sword will be beaten into a gardening tool. But that time is still yet to come. In the meantime, we wait. Some of you remember our friend Michael from Michael and Twinkle. They are back in South Korea right now, but they are still part of our family. And Michael, as you know, is a brilliant neuroscientist, published in Nature, had his own lab monkey. How many people can say that, right? <laughs> I loved talking theology with Michael. Michael, in the five and a half years that I've been here at Roots, Michael is the only person who would consistently beeline it for me after service and ask a ton of questions about the sermon. I loved every second of it. One of the things that Michael loved to talk about was time. Michael would often say, the problem is our timetable is off. And I would say, what do you mean by that? He would say, we think too short term. We got to zoom out and think about term, time in terms of the whole span of human history. Thousands of years. He saw how minuscule the amount of time was that we were looking at. And he was trying to look at the broader picture. He said, you know, we've only been an industrialized civilization for a few hundred years. But look at the damage we've done to the earth in this short period of time. Think about a thousand years from now. What will the earth be like? This passage speaks to Michael's concern about time and the future. This passage speaks about our short-sightedness, our impatience. This passage puts our lives in the proper scale compared to the vastness of God's eternity. It says, in this, in this living hope, in this inheritance, in this salvation gifted to us by God, we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, 
you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see that part? A little while. Now, this is not a dismissal of our pain. There's no denial of suffering here. Peter knows suffering. Peter knows great grief. This passage recognizes the deep suffering and anguish that God's people have been made to endure over the years. But this passage brilliantly puts that, all that suffering in proper scale next to the eternity of God. When viewed in light of the eternity of God, our brief time here on earth is but a little while. Something I've learned over the years and something that I continually tell myself when times get tough is that I can endure almost anything if I know that it won't last always. I can endure almost anything if I know it's just for a season. Amen? When I zoom out and take a look at my life from 40,000 feet, it puts my pain in perspective. And I see it then in light of God's eternity. The first word in this passage to me is future. Because this passage lifts up our eyes and points them to the future and tells us that the suffering we endure in this life, it won't last always. And in light of God's kingdom, that lasts eternity is only a little while. But to me, the second word is more important. The second word is focus. Some of you, God bless you, you love to run. And I do not understand you at all. How many of you like to run? We've got some runners. You're weirdos. I do not understand you. Running is pure suffering to me. I'm going to tell you why. When I was 16, I was court-ordered to a boot camp for at-risk youth. Okay? It was 360 teens from Chicago, all thrown onto a decommissioned Air Force base in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, surrounded by cornfields. And our drill instructors were special forces. And every morning at 5.15, they would wake us up, and we would run in formation across the base, then do PT, and then run back. And I swore to myself when I graduated from that program, I will never run another mile in my life. <laughs> Unless I'm saving my life or saving someone else's life, I'm not doing it. But there's something that turns running, which is pure torture, there's something that turns running into something good. And that's our focus. If you have a focus, you can turn a torturous thing like running into a refining fire of training. One person is on a treadmill and they are just suffering. It's pointless. They are running and they are doing nothing. It's utterly torture. But next to them is somebody who's training for a marathon and they've got focus. They know why they're doing what they're doing. They know why this pain is happening. And they know what it's for. Amen? Amen? It's moving towards a concrete future that you can see in your mind's eye. It's looking forward to a victory that turns meaningless pain into training for victory. Focus infuses purpose into our trials. Focus invests meaning into our pain. Think about the trials that you may be going through right now. I don't know. If you're suffering right now, I don't know how you're feeling, but you may be going through something hard. What are you focusing on? Where are your eyes lifted to? I often think about this scene. 
This scene has, has come up for me time and time again. Have you ever seen this, this, uh, this television show? This was a, uh, a limited miniseries produced by Ava DuVernay for Netflix. It's about the Central Park Five. Everybody know the Central Park Five? They're now the exonerated five, amen? amen? Because they were acquitted of all charges when they were wrongfully accused of a terrible act. Young woman was assaulted in Central Park, and the NYPD just rounded up the first five black and brown boys they could find. And they pinned it on them, and they coerced confessions from them. And Donald Trump took out a full-page ad calling for their execution, but we're not going to go there. I digress. In the miniseries, there's this scene that I think about all the time when I'm going through hard things. This young man's the youngest of the five. His name is Kevin. And Kevin was visited by his sister. I forget his sister's name. But his sister was trying to encourage him because Kevin was struggling in jail. He didn't know if he was going to make it through the length of the trial. And his sister told him a story. She said, I used to have this this terrible job where I was just doing what I had to do to get through the day. Then one day, this man walked in. He was fine. And he walked up to me and he asked for a minivan. And I said, is this minivan for your wife and kids? He said, no, it's for my, my grandmother and her bingo friends. And she said, all right then. And she rented him that minivan. And for the next three days, her boring, lonely, terrible job was transformed into an amazing, exciting job. Because for the next three days, she was waiting for that guy to come back. And when he returned with the minivan, she turned him down. He asked her out, and she turned him down. And Kevin was upset. Kevin said, why'd you do that? He said, she said, because all, all I really needed, I didn't need the date. I just needed something to look forward to. That was the point of the story. Kevin, you need something to look forward to. You need hope in the midst of your trial. You need a focus that lifts your eyes up from the jail bars and you can see beyond them. See, focus turns something miserable into something meaningful. Focus turns trials into triumph and tribulations into testimonies. Focus transforms our pain into the forging of our faith. So what are we focusing on? Ask yourself, what are you focusing on? When our focus is fixed on the solid ground of Christ's resurrection, it unlocks freedom. As we move through our life's challenges, fixing our hope on Christ determines our experience. What Peter calls inexpressible joy. It might seem like a contradiction to be going through something terrible and have joy in the midst of it. But that's the promise here. The promise here is that if we place our hope in Christ, those fiery trials, they turn into testimonies. Our joy comes from knowing that our present suffering is but for a little while. Our joy comes from knowing that our present suffering pales into com comparison to the incomprehensible glory of God's kingdom. Our joy comes from knowing that our present suffering is forging our faith. Forged hope isn't denial. It's not wishful thinking. It's not even optimism. Forged hope is hope that has been through the fires of loss, setbacks, fear, and has come through the other side. 
Forged hope is hope that has been tested and tempered, heated and hammered, beaten but not broken. Forged hope is hope that stands on the promises that we have heard whispered by the Spirit into our very souls. You've heard those whispers when God has said, you're my beloved. I am with you through this trial and I've already won the victory. To hope in Christ is to trust in the same liberating spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. To hope in Christ is to trust that there's life on the other side of failures, other side of disappointments, other side of deferred dreams. Remember when I didn't get that job in D.C.? I was devastated. I remember collapsing on the bed. And Oshita had to just, it just hold me. I didn't think there was a future after that. And here I am. And I would not trade where I am now for D.C. for a thousand D.C.'s. (laughs) To hope in Christ is to experience the power to begin again, to try again, to trust again, to live again. That's why we live in Eastertide, because Christ is risen. And that means death is defeated and death is the final enemy. So we don't have any more enemies. We're free now. Someone might say to me, but TC, you don't really know what I'm going through. And you're right about that. You're right. I don't know. I can't crawl inside your experience and experience it for you. I only have my own experience. And what I know to be true is this. Hope in Christ is the focus that unlocks freedom as our faith is forged in the refining fires of life. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, you are the one who fills us with the liberating energy, the liberating life that raised Jesus from the dead. Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives, guiding us, speaking to us, filling us with that incomprehensible joy that Peter speaks of. We need you lifting up our eyes to place our focus on Christ when we're going through tough times, when we're struggling, when we feel defeated, We need you, Holy Spirit, to shift our focus so that we can turn those trials into testimonies, so that we can place our trust in Christ and make it through, endure those hard times. Help us to root ourselves in the truth of God's word, the truth of Christ's resurrection, the truth of your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. We need you, Holy Spirit. Be with us in us and through us and among us, we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.